When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Today on the Joel Klatt Show, the biggest Big Ten matchup so far of the season. We get you set for Penn State and Ohio State. Can Tennessee do it again against the Crimson Tide? And we all line up in our boarding groups to get aboard the Air Force plane. College football has never been better. Interest has never been higher. Believe that we are at the dawn of the golden age of college football. It was an epic day of college football. It was one of those days where you fall in love with the sport all over again. Welcome into the program. Joel Klatt here. This is the Joel Klatt Show. We are getting you set for a weekend of college football. Cannot wait for it. Should be fantastic. This show is presented by Hampton by Hilton, and we've got a lot to get into. Hey, just remember, though, wherever you're listening to this, make sure to subscribe um, and, and review our podcast wherever you're listening. If you're watching on YouTube, make sure to subscribe to the channel, um, like it down below, and then leave us a comment uh, on today's program. And then wherever you like to social media. You can follow us at Joel Klatt Show on social media. You can follow me on Twitter. I'm at Joel Klatt. I'm also on Instagram at Joel underscore Klatt. That's everything that you've got going on. Now, we're getting you set today for what is likely to be a pretty phenomenal day of college football this Saturday. We've got massive games with major implications, in particular in the Big Ten East. I'll get to that in just a moment. And then some other Really big games with with large ramifications in the SEC and the Pac-12, as well as the Group of Five, as it relates to uh, Air Force and Air Force and their bid, their opportunity to potentially be that New Year's Six representative of the Group of Five, as them and Tulane right now are kind of um, jockeying for position as the highest-rated Group of Five team. Let's get into it, though. Let's start with the game I'll be at. Gus and Ginny and I, big noon Saturday, will be in Columbus as Penn State comes to town to take on Ohio State. Top 10 matchup, fourth time, by the way, in the last seven years that these two teams have met in a top 10 matchup. It is the first since 2019, um, and, and it is, by the way, a matchup that just always delivers, and so that's why I'm so excited for it. This is a game that is always fantastic. We did the game last year in Happy Valley. It was a terrific game. In fact, that was a game that was, what was it, 16-14 going into the fourth quarter, I believe. It was a really good matchup uh, between Ohio State and Penn State. Now, let's talk about this matchup. And I talked a lot about it yesterday on the show, but more from an overarching perspective of what it meant for the coaches and the programs uh, just from a, like a 30,000-foot view. Today, I want to get more into, like, what are we going to see on the field? Now, Ohio State is is favored by four at home. So this is, this is a close line. And even Vegas believes that this is a very tight matchup. I second that. When I have watched these teams throughout the season, but then even more specifically this week as I prepare for this game and I watch the film, these two teams are both, one, very good, and, and two, uniquely built to face each other. They're similar styles of team. 
really. Now, they they execute with different philosophies on both offense and defense, but they're similar styles of team. They believe in athletes and length and speed and athleticism. And in large part, when you look at the way that Penn State under James Franklin has built this team and this program, he's had to try to attack or target Ohio State because Ohio State five years ago, six years ago was like, that's the team that you had to go beat, especially when you think about 2019, let's say 2020. Now, Michigan had to do the same thing, but they just took a different road. So now Penn State has traveled the path that we're going to go try to match this athleticism and speed, and we're going to try to go out there and match up with Ohio State and beat them at what can only be described as their own game. Meanwhile, Michigan did a very different thing. They went a very different road, and they said, you know what, we're going we're gonna to go offensive line, defensive line, the boa constrictor, and we're going to try to beat Ohio State using a very different philosophy. So now, here's Penn State. And this is, this is, as I said yesterday, a great opportunity for them because this is a really good version of Penn State's team and program under James Franklin. I think it's their best team since the team that won the Big Ten Championship under Trace McSorley, Saquon Barkley. That was a really good team. They had athletes everywhere, and obviously Saquon being you know the foremost amongst them. This team is similar. They're deep. They've got really good players all over the field. Their offensive line, I, I was expecting a little bit more out of them so far this year, but they're still a better version than what we've seen over the last few years. We know they have talent at running back. We think that they've got a lot of talent in the passing game, although we haven't seen that really come to fruition uh, this year as much as maybe we had hoped. But this is a team that could be ready. It could be the time for a Penn State team. Now, on the other side, Guess who's still on the other side? And it's not just Marvin Harrison. It's also JT Tuimolo out. Let's take a step back for a moment. I referenced this game just a second ago. In last year's game, it's 16-14 going into the fourth quarter, and all, all of a sudden, JT Tuimolo out, the defensive end for Ohio State, just decides that like, he's going to be the best player on the planet for the next 15 minutes. And then he was, and he... I don't want to say single-handedly because a lot of players played hard and played well in the fourth quarter, but man, he was a game wrecker in that game. He had six tackles in the game, two interceptions, one of which was a pick six. He had two sacks, one of which was a strip sack, which by the way, he recovered. He had a pass deflection, which was subsequently intercepted by Zach Harrison. He had a hand in four turnovers. Four turnovers for Ohio State. That led to 21 Ohio State points. They went on to win the game comfortably after taking a 16-14 lead into the fourth quarter. Penn State has to figure out a way to block JT Tuimoloau. This game is going to bring up those positive feelings for JT. And by the way, when I watched the film over the last couple of weeks, in particular last week against Purdue, this guy started playing his best football again. Tui Molo-Au was terrific against Purdue. And you could say like, well, it's just against Purdue. But when they needed him to show up and rush the passer in critical passing situations, he was there. He was providing pressure. Early in the year, you got the sense that the pressure was there. He was getting close, but it wasn't getting home. 
All right. And there was a lot of people like, yeah, they don't get enough sacks and where's the pressure and where's Sawyer and Tui Molo out. And guess what? They showed up against Purdue. And the reason was the coverage was just a little bit tighter, just a little bit tighter. Quarterback has to hold the ball for an extra beat. And guess what? That pressure no longer is just a quarterback hurry. It's no longer close. It gets home. It lands and you get the numbers and you get the productivity in the backfield. That's what I saw last week against Purdue. That's what we certainly saw last year against Penn State. And that's what Ohio State's defense is hoping they get out of JT Tui Molowau this year. There are a lot of injury questions for the Buckeyes. If you're listening to this and you're a Buckeye fan, you know what I'm talking about. Last week, Emeka Abuka, the wide receiver, did not play. Travion Henderson, the running back, did not play. Chip Trainum, he got banged up during the game. Mayan Williams did not play. Denzel Burke, the corner, their best corner, by the way, ended up leaving that game. As far as status, I don't know this to be 100%. I do believe that some of those guys will be back. Not sure about Emeka yet. Not sure about Denzel Burke. Uh, the others, I, I would, I would be somewhat surprised if we didn't see a more robust uh, running back situation for Ohio State as it relates to, or or conversely, from a week ago against Purdue. But again, I don't know any of that to be for sure. So that's going to be an unknown moving forward, which is going to impact their game plan on both sides of the ball because not having a mecca on the field is going to force Ohio State to adjust how they're trying to handle and get to and target Marvin Harrison Jr. Not having Denzel Burke on the field at corner is going to impact how they play defense. Can they play tight coverage? Can they force Aller to hold the ball just a beat longer to allow the rush, rush to show up? All of those then are questions for this Ohio State team moving into this game. Both of these defenses, folks, some of the best in college football. When you're looking at the stats, these are two of the top defenses in the country through the first half of the season. They're both in the top three in scoring defense. Penn State is second in the country. Ohio State is third in the country, and they can get after it. Now, they use a very different philosophy from one another, and let me just run over those really, really quickly. Penn State's philosophy is going to be, we're going to get athletes, we're going to get length, and we're going to put them on the field. We're going to get Adisa Isaac and Abdul, Abdul Carter and Kalen King, and we're going to let these guys attack and play. Manny Diaz, the defensive coordinator, he really cut his teeth in his coaching infancy, if you want to call it that, under Mickey Andrews at Florida State. And, and that whole philosophy is that we're going to put players on the field that want to get up and disrupt the offense. So they're going to run through gaps. They're going to run up the field. It's an attacking style of defense, a lot of man coverage out there. Conversely, for Ohio State, they've gone through a little bit of a philosophical change. When you look at what Jim Knowles, their defensive coordinator, has been throughout his history, and then the way that they're playing this year, there is a shift, and it is different. It's not worlds apart, but it is a shift. Let me tell you what I mean by that. If you go back to what Jim Knowles was when he was at Duke or even at Oklahoma State as the defensive coordinator, it was similar to Manny Diaz, attacking style of defense. A lot of all-out blitzing. Blitzing as a percentage way higher than most defenses in the country. And yet this year, it's a little bit different. And I believe that that was a product and is a product of the fact that they gave up so many big plays in their two losses a year ago. 
I've said this stat before on this program, but remember last year they gave up 18 plays of 40 or more yards defensively. Eight of those, almost half of the plays that they gave up that were explosive plays were against Michigan and Georgia. So if you're Ryan Day and Jim Knowles and you're going back to the drawing board in the offseason and you're trying to evaluate what went wrong, what do we need to fix, what do we need to do better, guess what you're going to land on? We've got to limit explosive plays. And so the shift is I don't see as much all-out, cover zero, no safety back blitzing out of Ohio State as I did a year ago. They got in trouble with that at times, in particular against Michigan late in that game and, and against Georgia. And so I went through the numbers and I start looking at the film and I'm like, okay, how often does this team blitz or, or rush on pass plays six or more rushers? Because if you're rushing six or more, that to me is kind of like, we're trying to get home. We're trying to send one more than they can protect. And it's somewhat of a risky, high risk, high reward style of pressure. And when you look at that, they do it almost half as much as they did a year ago. Almost half as much. Now, are they structurally much different than they were a year ago? No, they're not. But philosophically, they are. And I believe that it comes down to their want to, their desire to limit explosive plays. They've done that. They have not allowed a play of over 40, uh, 40 yards this season. That's tied for best in college football. So the philosophy change is working. There's always a safety back, at least one. Even when they're trying to pressure, even when they're trying to be aggressive, they have a safety back. They have somebody back there that they feel like can be the eraser and get the ball, quote-unquote, on the ground. Live to snap another down. This is interesting because guess what Penn State does not do very well? They don't create explosives. So now all of a sudden, the strength of the Ohio State defense is right where Penn State's offense has shown a little bit of weakness, okay? If you're looking at this Penn State offense, I thought that it was going to be an offense that was going to run the ball really effectively and then take shots down the field with play action. That's how I thought, you know, you got Katron Allen and Nick Singleton in the backfield. You got a big, strong-armed quarterback in Drew Aller, who, by the way, has one of the top two arms in college football. And I thought it would be a lot of running, play action, ball down the field. We haven't seen that. In fact, they have remained what they were even under Sean Clifford, which is more of a, and this is going to sound like a knock and it's not, like more of a dink and dunk, more of a check down offense, more of a, you know, get it out to the tight end, right? And, and it's, a, it's a horizontal passing game and not a vertical passing game. Now, they're going to get healthier at wide receiver this week, um, and, and that should help them. But this is an offense that only has one play all year long of 40 or more yards. That's the fewest in the FBS. That's the fewest in the FBS. I do believe that in order to beat Ohio State, the blueprint is crystal clear. You have to, in particular in their house, create explosive plays. If you don't create explosive plays, they are generally too good. And I think this year remains to be the same. So Penn State's going to have to get out of their comfort zone and try to push the ball down the field at times, not recklessly, but at times, where are the opportunities to try to take a shot? Can you break a long run? It's going to be harder with that philosophical change from Ohio State. But this is something that they're going to have to do as a blueprint of what did the two teams that beat Ohio State, what did they do last year to Ohio State that allowed them to have success? They created explosives with their offense. 
ultimately in a game like this, when you're talking about a game that is this big, okay, undefeated, this this big in the Big Ten East, in the Big Ten overall, and in the college football playoff conversation, it comes down to quarterback play. And we got two young quarterbacks that are obviously very talented. Now, McCord has been tested. He has been on the road against Notre Dame. That guy has is, is been through it, absolutely been through it. So he's not going to be surprised by what goes on out there on Saturday. Plus, he's going to be at home. Meanwhile, Drew Aller, he has not been in an environment in his young career that's going to be even close to the environment he's going to face against Ohio State in the shoe on Saturday. Now, that doesn't mean that I don't think he's going to you know, play well, or it, I think he probably will play well, and I hope he does play well. He's got the talent. He seems to have the slow heartbeat. He doesn't get rattled. All of these things are huge pluses, but it is still the first time. Now, he's played in a couple of road games, but remember, this is at Illinois, a, a game that I was at, and frankly, it, it wasn't loud. At Northwestern, we all know what that environment is like. So this is going to be a, a, a departure. In a lot of ways, this is his first real, real road test of his career, in particular in a big environment. Now, he did not play great in his first two chances on the road. I, I imagine he will play much better than that in this ball game. Remember, he's only two hours from his hometown, and we'll see how he plays. And again, McCord, McCord's playing really well. No one's talking about Kyle McCord right now because there's this sense that Ohio State isn't playing as explosive as what they've played over the last couple of years. But if you watch Kyle McCord, this guy's playing incredibly well right now. Ever since that fourth quarter and, and, and more specifically that last drive against Notre Dame, he's been excellent. He's been absolutely excellent. Maybe the first couple of series against Maryland, it wasn't there, but he was really good against Purdue last week, and that was a game that they were leaning on the pass game. This is a team that likes to throw it on first down. I think that that's absolutely where I would sit as a game plan because they've struggled to run the football. Why not throw it with that passing game with guys like Marvin Harrison Jr. in order to get the, the, the run game going later in the game? So McCord has been through it. He's started on the road against Notre Dame. I expect him to play well, and he's got – and this is the last element of this game, Marvin Harrison Jr. What in the world does Penn State do with Marvin Harrison Jr.? I don't know. I don't know the answer to this. If I was Manny Diaz, I don't know what I would do structurally. A lot of it depends on if Emeka Abuka is going to be out there or not. But let's face it, even if, if, even if Emeka is not on the field, it's not like Ohio State doesn't have good players out there. Xavier Johnson is a good player. Julian Fleming is a really good player. Carnell Tate is a really good young player. So th they've got, by the way, Cade Stover is one of the best tight ends in the country. So just because Emeka is not going to be out there doesn't mean that Penn State can just throw everything at Marvin Harrison Jr. Or maybe they do. I'm not sure. All I know is that this guy really hurt the Nittany Lions last year on the road. He was 10 for 185, most of them on third downs, by the way. And they didn't have an answer. They tried to put a safety over him. Didn't help. Tried to play him in one-on-one. Didn't work. He's just really good. He's just really good. And, and I would expect, in order to calm down McCord, in order to develop a rhythm, in order to get the crowd behind him, I would expect it's going to be a lot of Marvin early in this game. McCord to Marvin Harrison on the first series. I would expect to see it at least two, maybe three times, and one of those maybe being a shot. 
Ohio State favored by four. This is going to be an absolute great game, and I can't wait for it. Gus, Ginny, and I will be there. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $20 on the steel MS-162 or MS-170 chainsaw. Real steel. Offer valid through June 30th, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Let's move on. I gave a long uh, rundown of that because I think it's going to be an awesome game. Tennessee at Alabama. Here we go. Tennessee. Remember that huge win Tennessee had last year? I think we all do. I think there's probably some Tennessee fans still swimming in the river. Right? Probably. They walked the goalposts right out there, threw them in the river. It was such a good game. I mean, just an, an, an unbelievable college football game that came down right to the end. Tennessee is able to drive down. They get that pass across the 50. They're able to kick a field goal. The knuckleball goes through. It, it, was, it was sensational. I mean, I think that we forget how good Tennessee was last year with Hendon Hooker and Jalen Hyatt. They haven't been the same. The kick, man, the kick was just like, it was such a knuckleball and cleared by a foot. I, I, what a scene that was. All right, now we look at this year's game. Alabama looking uh, to avenge that loss. They've won their last two games, each by a score. They won against A&M on the road by six, then at home to Arkansas by three. Um, the Tide, by the way, in that Arkansas game, they had a 24-6 lead and kind of let Arkansas crawl back into that game. They did outgain Arkansas by 165 yards. Here's what I'm interested in with, with Alabama is the lack of consistency in where they find their production. This is what I find so, I don't want to say alarming, but, but fascinating with Alabama. So one game against Tennessee, they don't run it well. Milrow has got to become like a great passing quarterback, and he does, and they win the game. Then the next week, Milrow completes left less than half of his passes, including a one-for-nine stretch in the second half. And yet, they still win because then they can run the football. It's really interesting because the only thing consistent about Alabama's offense this year has been inconsistency. It doesn't mean that they haven't produced because they have, but where they've produced has changed every week. It's wild. I don't, you don't normally see this from Alabama. Now, there's part of me that thinks, and I don't know Nick Saban well, but I've sat with him a couple of times, and I do know that this guy loves the process, loves to coach this sport, loves football. And if you love football, and if you want to get better, and if you're a team that wants to try to get better, then he loves you. And this team feels like a team that he probably really enjoys coaching. Maybe even more so than, than some of the star-studded teams that had it easier <laughs> than this bunch. Because this bunch has got to find a way every week, which I do find odd, which I do find odd. Um, from Tennessee's perspective, you know, we think of them as this great passing team, and yet last week the run game had to carry them against Texas A&M. They ran it for 323 yards. Jalen Wright went for 136. Milton only threw for 100 yards. Joe Milton. 
So it's like, well, what is Tennessee? Both of these teams, I think, have questions about where are we going to be able to produce offensively in this game? And I don't think any of them sitting here in the middle of the week can actually answer with much definitive truth. Bama's run game looked better against Arkansas, five and a half, 5.7 per carry when you strip out the sacks. But the one thing I'm, I'm worried for about Alabama is their pass protection. This blew my mind, blew my mind. And I think it will for you as well. First of all, Milrow was sacked five times last week. And I think we're seeing a, a pattern of like, yeah, yeah, we know the pass protection isn't that great. But listen to this. Alabama has allowed the fourth most sacks in college football this year with 31. There's only one power five team that has allowed more sacks than Alabama. Colorado. That is wild. I just never, it, I, I never anticipate Alabama being in that spot, right? So what do I know about this game? Not a lot. Alabama is favored by eight and a half. I don't know how they're going to move the ball, but something in me tells me that they will be able to because they find a way every week, whether it's, okay, this, this week we got to run it, this week we got to throw it. They're favored by eight and a half. Tennessee, do I have any faith that Joe Milton is going to all of a sudden on the road at Tuscaloosa turn into Hendon Hooker? No. Like, isn't, isn't that a, a bit of a like bottom line? Now, do they have to be Hendon Hooker and Jalen Hyatt to beat Alabama? No. <laughs> this is why it's this is why it's it's so wild. I don't think Alabama has the ability to dominate anybody. Have they found a way to win? Yes. Why? Because they're Alabama, coached by Nick Saban. But I don't, I, there's nothing in me that, that feels like Tennessee's going to run away with this one, that Alabama's going to run away with this one. So if I'm looking at this, Tennessee on the road, I don't think wins the game. Bama finds a way at home. However, I would take the eight and a half and take Tennessee with an eight and a half point spread. Because do I really think, Alabama can dominate anybody? AM by six, Arkansas by three? No, they're not beating Tennessee by eight and a half. I think they'll probably win. Why? They're coached by Nick Saban. Hey, it's my favorite time of the year. It's football season. And as you know, I take it seriously. So when I'm traveling on the road to watch my favorite teams, I can't risk the wrong play with where I stay. Wherever I go, I know that I can count on Hampton by Hilton. I can depend on their comfortable rooms and their warm, friendly service and their free hot breakfast, as you know, for me, is a game changer. It's my favorite thing maybe on the planet. So if you're cheering on your team from the stands or never leaving the tailgate, Hampton by Hilton will always give you that win. All right, folks, we got a couple of more to, to go here. Duke and Florida State. Uh, this one, this one should be really good. I'm actually, this is a really under-the-radar great college football game. Duke at Florida State. Let me start by saying this. It is incredibly rare that you see a team in the top 10, and more specifically in the top five, lose at home. Almost never happens. You guys have seen those numbers as I've, I've given to you before. It's, it's very rare. This is what impressed us so much with Texas's win uh, over Alabama earlier in the year. It's what impressed us so much when Ohio State was able to beat Notre Dame on the road. This is what would have impressed us so much if Oregon would have gotten the job done over Washington last week. 
It just doesn't happen. So Duke is ranked 16th in the country, but they're at Florida State. So the number's 14. Florida, Florida State favored by 14. A lot in this game has to come down to the health of Duke quarterback Riley Leonard. Now, Mike Elko, their head coach, said that Leonard is considered day-to-day with that ankle uh, injury. Remember, he suffered that against Notre Dame about three weeks ago. So last week, Duke started Henry uh, Bielen. He started for Duke and wasn't great. Four of 12 passing, couple of interceptions, but the defense was outstanding, held North Carolina State to three points, and they would wound up winning the game. Duke ran it 30 times for almost 200 yards, almost six and a half yards per carry. So they, they had to run the football. And if Riley Leonard, even if he plays, I do believe that they're going to have to lean towards the run game. One, it's what they do, and they want to do that, and they want to shorten the game and lean on their defense. But also, that's where Florida State has struggled a little bit. If there, if there is a knock on Florida State's defense is that their run defense is, is not great. If you look at the Florida State run defense numbers, you'll actually see that if you strip out sacks, they're giving up about five yards per carry. They're 94th in the country in yards per carry allowed. So if I'm Duke, test it. Get after them. Try to get after them in the run game. That's what I think that they should be, should, should be doing. It also does another thing, which is shorten the game. Limit the possessions for Florida State. You don't want to see Keon Coleman out there too long. Johnny Wilson didn't play last week. Looks like he is expected back against Duke. So now you got both of those guys out there. And even though Jordan Travis got banged up a little bit, he did finish the game against Syracuse. And this is an offense that with those two guys on the outside, you've got to expect that they're going to score points. So Duke's whole objective here, in particular on the road, is make it a boring game. Keep Jordan Travis on the opposite sideline. All the old adages come out, right? Limit the possessions. Try to double cover Keon Coleman. Run the football effectively. They can, though. They can. They're not going to beat Florida State without Riley Leonard. And I think Riley's going to need to be somewhat healthy because his ability to threaten the defense with his legs is important to their run game and will be important to facing this defense to hold edges, limit the pursuit of a defense that's athletic and fast. All of those things are going to play into this game. I like Florida State. They're at home. I think that they win the game. But something in me says that the Duke defense, as good as they are, and we've seen them play great you know, throughout the season, even in their loss, by the way, to Notre Dame, and, and the, the style with which the offense will need to play and, and will probably play in terms of limiting the possessions and trying to shorten the game. I like taking the points with Duke, but Florida State winning the game. I think 14 is too much in this one, but I do think Florida State wins, and they continue on this trek and on this road towards an ACC championship game berth, and this is a team that, by the way, is, is very good. I was, I was wrong about them in the preseason. I thought that Clemson was, was a better team than them, and I thought they, that LSU would beat them. Both wrong. Now, have they played great every week? No. No, they haven't. But Florida State's getting the job done. And this is a team that's looking to go, what are they, looking to go 7-0? Looking to hit that mark for the first time since their championship game year? Or excuse me, their, their, that next year after the championship? With Jameis Winston, remember they went basically like undefeated throughout that next year, but we all knew it's like, yeah, this doesn't look the same. And then they ended up losing to Oregon in the semifinal. That was the first year of the playoff. Let's travel out west. Next up.
we've got Utah at USC. USC is favored by seven. That was like, hold on a second. Hold on a second. Based on the games we saw last year, Utah beat this USC team twice. Remember that amazing? And by the way, it was this week last year, that ridiculous game in Salt Lake. Unbelievable game. Cameron Rising was fantastic. Crowd was amazing. Go for two inside of a minute. Rising into the end zone. They beat Caleb Williams in USC. It was it was it was one of those all timers where you just got two offenses just in an all out slugfest. Then in the Pac-12 championship game, Utah just hammered them, and USC didn't really have any answers. So here's a Utah team that beat USC twice last year. I get it. Cameron Rising is not going to be on the field, but don't we see the clear deficiencies that have shown up for USC? Doesn't this seem like a large number? USC favored by seven, even at home, based on what we've seen over the last month with the pressure on Caleb Williams, with the inefficiency of the offense last week, and even in large stretches of the Arizona game, and even in the fourth quarter against Colorado, and even, by the way, at times against Arizona State, like, this seems odd. This seems odd. So let's let's walk through it. Let's walk through it. Utah has to play a very specific way because they don't have Cam Rising. They can't get into that same shootout that they won last year in Salt Lake. They can't win this 43-42. It's got to be lower scoring than that. They do not have a quarterback. They do not have an offense that can go out there and score over 40 points, even against USC. But remember, USC's defense didn't play poorly last week against Notre Dame. In fact, in the drives in which it wasn't a short field based on a turnover or not a kick return, USC only gave up 13 points on traditional offensive drives to Notre Dame last week. So the defense didn't play poorly last week. Now, the offense played poorly in large part due to the fact that on the other side, Notre Dame's defense was outstanding. Don't we think that Utah's defense can also be outstanding? Don't we think that Utah's defense can also put pressure on Caleb Williams? Caleb Williams last week pressured 25 times. He was sacked seven times last year. I'm sorry, not last week, last year in the, in the Pac-12 championship game. So this Utah team knows how to get to the quarterback. And this is an offensive line for USC that's not nearly as good as what it was last year, even when they faced um, uh, this Utah team in the Pac-12 championship game. Utah is fifth in the country in scoring defense. Great defense. Utah is sixth in the country in sacks per game at a little over three and a half per game. And they have a top five rushing defense. It's going to be very difficult for USC to move the ball. Williams in the last four games, basically month, he has been one of the most pressured quarterbacks in the country. 58 times he's been pressured in the last four games. That's fifth most in the country. Here's what USC has to do. They've got to get the run game going. Remember, Lincoln Riley's offense is really a running offense. Every time this offense is at its best, it's because they can run the ball and establish the run. Then everything builds off of that. The sequencing of plays build off of the run game. You get to the RPOs and you get to the big play shots off of the run game. Because of that, I think that Lincoln Riley needs to lean in on his transfer running back, and, and Marshawn Lloyd needs to start getting more carries. Marshawn Lloyd has actually been really effective for USC, very effective. They need to lean into that. 
and really try to get the run game going because that's the only way that they're going to slow down the rush of Utah. It's not about opening up the passing game. It's about slowing down the Utah pass, pass rush. Marshawn Lloyd only got eight carries last week against Notre Dame, and he's only averaging about 10 carries per game, and yet he's leading power five all running backs in yards per carry with seven and a half. You got to give him the ball more. And if they can, and if they do, then they'll be in a better spot. It comes down to Utah's ability to score in this game. Rising is yet to play this year. We know that. And just if, if you don't know, and I know we haven't really addressed it on this show, it wasn't just an ACL injury. And, and to be candid, he wasn't close to playing early in the season. He blew out his knee completely. He suffered a torn ACL, MCL, meniscus, and some ligament I can't even pronounce that helps stabilize the kneecap. Usually when you have an knee injury to that extent, it's almost a full year, 10, 12 months. He's nine months post-surgery right now. So Utah went back to Bryson Barnes at QB. They went way run heavy against Cal, 53 rushes, only 22 passes. They ran the ball for 300 yards. I don't know a lot of things. I do know that Lincoln Riley does not stay down for long offensively. I do know that he is going to watch that film and he's going to see his quarterback being pressured that many times over the last few weeks. And he's going to see Marshawn Lloyd only getting 10 carries per game. And he's going to find a way to create some protection for Caleb Williams. And Utah's not going to have a real ability to score. And candidly, USC's defense is playing a little better than people expect them to play. All the narrative is about their defense. Their defense wasn't bad against Notre Dame. So even though this felt like an interesting line off the top, you see where I've gone? It's full circle, all the way back up. Utah, USC, USC favored by seven. Give me the Trojans. Give me the Trojans. I'm giving the points, and I'm going to take them because I think that they're going to show up in a big way at home against Utah. Let's move on to Air Force. All aboard. Here we go. Air Force. I love this team. As you know, I'm going to keep talking about them the rest of the year. Air Force is facing Navy. It's a commander-in-chief game uh, for that trophy. Navy is 3-3 three and three on the season. They've won their last couple, beating North Texas and Charlotte. Navy began the season, remember, that 42-3 loss in, in Ireland over Notre Dame. But this is more about Air Force. It's more about what they're going to have at quarterback. Air Force is going to win the game. They're favored by 10 and a half. I would actually take that. I would I would give the points. I would take Air Force. Troy Calhoun, the head coach of the Air Force Academy, he said that they're likely going to be without their starting quarterback, Zach Larrier. And that's a that's a problem. Larrier has tremendous speed. He won the Mountain West 200 meters in the track championship in 2022. And they're going to be without him. He was injured against Wyoming late in that game. So they've got a senior, Jensen Jones. He's going to make this, uh, the start at quarterback. He had a shaky start when he went in. Um, after Larry was hurt at the end of that game, he fumbled his first two snaps, but then they got it back. They'll be okay. They're going to have a whole week of practicing with Jones at quarterback. And so they're not going to fumble exchanges. I, I don't see this being an issue. Air Force is running it for 334 yards per game this season. That's by far the best in college football, five and a half per carry. I'm all aboard. Give me Air Force. I'd like to see Air Force in the new year six. I'm terribly disappointed that we don't have the 12-team format this year because I actually think Air Force could make a bit of a splash in a 12-team playoff. I wish that was the case, but it's not going to be the case. I've got Air Force. Uh, I'm, I'm grabbing those 10 and a half 
and I think they beat Navy. That'll do it for us today. Enjoy your week of college football. Remember, subscribe wherever you're listening. Subscribe on YouTube if you would. Go follow us on social media at Joel Clatchio. Enjoy your games. Gus, Ginny, and I will be live from Columbus, big noon Saturday, as Penn State travels to the shoe to take on Ohio State. It's going to be an epic game. Have a great weekend.